Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with a promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. I am your host, Tommy Ashley. I'm talking to Buck Sanders and Jason Staples, and you're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by Jersey Mike's. And there's been plenty of times over the course of this podcast era and over the course of the last many years for North Carolina football, uh, we've had these sort of talks and we've talked about uh, confounding blowout defeats that North Carolina football has endured. And Buck, I want to start with you. You took a while to digest it and you wrote a column that was on Inside Carolina went up Sunday morning. If anybody's listening to this, hadn't read it, need to go read it. But Buck, I think it was as spot on as it could be. I think it's uh, I think the time is now, but I want your thoughts just overall in in writing the column and then the responses on the message boards and your thoughts there. Well, uh, I would say that the responses to it, I was surprised that there was uh, the message boards or Torpet Premium is what we're talking about if you're a listener that doesn't subscribe to Inside Carolina, which you need to do. I uh, thought that um, the responses were reasonable and rational and for the most part, and that's about as unified as I've seen uh, our subscribers on a topic in a while. And, you know, I I do want to say, and I'll probably say this maybe more than once from here on to the rest of the season, is that I'm not sure I know what uh, Bubba Cunningham and um, we'll do in consultation with boosters and the board of trustees. But so I can't say what's going to happen. I just thought I would write about what I thought should happen. And also, I think it should be said that that uh, Larry Fedor should get some credit for uh, taking the job when he took it um, and for going through what he went through. Um, during his tenure at UNC, I will say he's was compensated for that a little bit better than than I am for what I do. And if if they do um, make the call to fire uh, Larry Fedora at the end of this season, he's going to have a nice little retirement package that I don't think I'll be able to touch, uh, you know, in my lifetime. So um, I. It, the, there's a human element to it, no matter what the uh, the outcome is in terms of the finances and how well you all are, well off you might be after, you know, with that kind of buyout. But there's a human factor to it, too, and I don't want to be blind to that. But I, I just think it's reputationally, I think he's he's lost the fan base at this point. And, you know, I think it's going to be hard to win people back. Uh, I hate to say that. I hate, you know, I I really didn't. That's not the outcome. I don't think anybody really wanted. Um, I think everybody probably that's a UNC football fan would have wanted a different outcome. But at this point, it is what it is. And, you know, there's a lot of I's to dot and T's to cross. You know, the devil is always in the details on these things. But, uh, you know, I just think that probably at this point it's best for the ways between unc and larry fedora jason we talked about it off air and i'm gonna put it on air right now uh some discussion last week uh to the effect of how many or would north carolina what would north carolina fans think of a loss to east carolina if larry fedora um, was no longer the coach if that loss, in fact, happened. 
and we sort of, you know, like, well, yeah, I mean, it's not really a discussion that, um, you know, at the time it's maybe out of the realm of possibility thinking about Carolina playing East Carolina, but here we are, you know, speak to the coaching factor of when you lose the players. And, and I ask that because that's easy to say sitting up here and sitting in the stands or sitting in the press box. But when you see a game against an East Carolina team that clearly Scotty Montgomery's job was on the line, but he has not lost his players. Now, there was pictures um, after his game against A&T. Very few players stood for the alma mater there, uh, whatever. But they played like a team that wanted to be there, and Carolina did not. From your coaching experience and watching this East Carolina game, what do you think about that? Because I think we can talk about losing the fan base all you want, um, but when you lose the players as it appears that they were lost on Saturday, that's the biggest thing to me is if they don't want to play for you, there's not much else that can be said, period. Yeah, I didn't I didn't feel like at least through most of this this game that that they that Fedora and that staff had had lost the players. Uh I mean, you you look at the first half, I thought Carolina played played hard. Uh you know, stepped on their own feet and everything else multiple times uh to put themselves behind the eight ball, but it appeared to me that they played hard and they came in confident and everything in that game. It wasn't until you started getting into the third quarter, you know, well into the third quarter, when ECU went up and they'd they'd had a few more big plays that you could see what it looked like to me is you could see Carolina, the the various Carolina players, you could see them start to doubt. And then by the end of the game, you could see you could see them in a you know, once it was once it once once it was a sixteen point game and they went three and out again you could kind of see the the body language of i just want to get out of here uh but it wasn't until then and and so that that i think had more to do with the with the situation of the loss than it did anything else so i don't think it's a situation where at least up until late in the game that fedora had lost that had lost the team now i don't know what the situation of of in in the locker room is going to be this week but you know that this is the kind of loss that that definitely impacts your ability to to keep your team uh to to uh keep them from losing confidence to keep their trust and all of that so we're gonna see but uh but yeah i mean definitely a an inexcusably bad loss for for carolina and that's something that every one of those players knows too this question is for both of you but you can go first. Um, we talked about last week Malik Carney, a senior, making a boneheaded play and cost Carolina, I believe, a touchdown in that game. Didn't come out of the game, didn't miss a snap, and I understand why. And, Jason, I want you to respond on that end. But then Tyler Powell just inexplicably hits the quarterback late. And I've asked over and over and over uh, to you specifically, Jason, and to others is how in the world can that keep happening? Uh, but that's another sort of nail in the coffin is just the complete lack of discipline. And it's not young guys. It's not uh, kids that should know better. It's guys that damn well better know better. And they, it continues to happen. Your thoughts on that? Because that, that play sort of signified for me, what it's been like under Larry Fedora in Chapel Hill, save one season. Where I come out on this at right this current moment as we're doing this podcast is it's like Groundhog Day. I mean, we, we've had this conversation how many times now? There's really nothing left to say about it. Not only is Tyrell Powell uh, a, you know experienced player, he, he's been in the college football for six years i mean he got a waiver from the ncaa so that he could have a six year of eligibility and the player he hit was two yards out of bounds or at least a yard out of bounds i mean it was clear 
that. Well, even if he wasn't out of bounds, it was two steps late. Yeah. So, I mean, it was just not um, clearly something that you want to tolerate. And we understand, I think, they're shorthanded on the defensive line because of some other factors. But at the same time, there's a, we've, we've had this conversation over and over and over again. Jalen Dalton and uh, Malik Carney last week and now Tyler Powell. And it, it just keeps happening over and over again. There's, there's really nothing left to say about it, in my opinion. I'm sure Jason will, will have something to say. But it, it's just, you know, deja vu all over again, as Yogi uh, Bear would have said. So uh, that's where I come out on it. Jason, you said something last week that I think was pretty awesome quote, and I'll give you props for it, and I've heard similar versions, is you get what you tolerate. And that is what you get. Your thoughts on the, the power play and the di- lack of discipline in general. Yeah, I mean, well, that, again, is a situation where if by the sixth year in a program you've got a guy making that play, then it is something that you've been tolerating. It's something that you've been, you know, there, there, that is a lack of discipline within the program. And I mean, if it was a one-time thing in terms of, you know, that kind of penalty, uh, that kind of costly penalty, that kind of selfish penalty by a defender at Carolina, uh, then, you know, maybe you could say otherwise. But I mean, it's just like Jalen Dalton's penalty before the half that cost him the game against Cal last year. It's the same stuff. And so, yeah, you know, there is that coaching rule that you get what you tolerate and something in the program in that regard is, is out of order. And you've got to, you've got to be able to, you've got to be able to, uh, to find a way to keep that stuff from happening because that stuff costs you games. And, and, it, and you can make a case that they might not have lost that game had that not happened because that, that completely changed the momentum. They went down and scored on that drive instead of, instead of punting the ball and, that that I mean again that completely changes the the situation in the game and you know it's just a selfish play and you can't let that stuff happen you can't have it happen over and over and over again. I hundred percent agree there, and it's happened just repeatedly. I've we've talked about it, the penalties and the consistent issues like that, and and folks have made excuses or talked about it. It's just it's mind boggling to me. Uh, I told a kid on the baseball field this weekend and another coach, I'd rather lose and do it right than win and do it wrong. And in Carolina's chance, case and in our case, have a chance, even have a chance to win and then do it wrong. So it's just mind blowing as somebody that's watched college football, all athletics and it see it happening over and over and over at North Carolina. All right, guys, do you need a quick and easy, delicious lunch? Need an easy tailgate option for your friends and family? Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill is your place to go for a quick sandwich or an easy and efficient tailgating option. Charlie, Clint, and Griffin, our guys at Jersey Mike's of Chapel Hill, are UNC fans and local residents who love the Tar Heels. They've partnered with Inside Carolina to offer a great deal for the IC Podcast listeners. Right now, Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill is offering IC Podcast listeners 15% off their order with the code HEELS15. This is an online promotion only. Think about it. You're coming to Chapel Hill for a football game, UCF next Saturday, or some game down the line. You're hungry. You need some quick and easy food. Get on your phone, jerseymikes.com, front slash order. Order whatever you need for tailgate. Enter the code HEELS15, 15% off that order. Place your order, stop, skip the line. is such an easy way to do things. Always easy, always efficient. That makes it great for Saturdays and tailgating. Do it today. Place an order online at one of the four locations in Chapel Hill. JerseyMikes.com front slash order. Code word HEELS15. Three locations in Chapel Hill. On Elliott Road, off MLK, right off I-40. And at Falcon Bridge Shopping Center at 54, right off I-40 as well. And then there's one in Hillsboro, right off exit 261. There's no denying that Jersey Mike's subs are delicious, so take advantage of this deal and support the IC podcast. Buck, let's turn and get to uh, – we're going to talk about the game at some point later in this podcast, but let's get to the when-how factor with this. 
I said it before, and I'll say it again, uh, and I know I'm not the only one that believes it, but I think this podcast that we're recording for uh, everybody's information on Sunday night should be a, about the firing of Larry Fedora. But it's not at this point at 8.17 on Sunday night. So, Buck, how does it come about? Because I, I, I think we all agree it's, there's no coming back short of running the table and I don't think the opportunity should be got to run the table. So your thoughts there, I mean, Carolina, Bubba Cunningham, they're in a pickle because we're two weeks into a football season that lasts 10 more games, at least your thoughts on that. Well, it, there has been a trend in recent years where coaches, where it becomes abundantly clear that, and the decision has kind of been made that, they're not going to continue with the program, let go near the middle of the season or somewhere in that ballpark. I I don't know. uh, Maybe Jason can think of an occasion where um, a coach was let go after the first couple of games. I I can't remember that happening. Um, I can't remember a coach being on that short of a leech. Probably has happened. But, you know, it's happened plenty of times. Al Golden was fired after what six games? Uh, you know, the, a bunch of coaches have been fired. Um, Tommy Bowden back in the day, uh, when Dabo Sweeney took over, he was fired mid-season. Uh, usually, uh, when a coach gets fired like that, Butch Jones, just from last year, as I recall, Lane Kiffin. Uh, Lane Kiffin, uh, of course, uh, off the off the air, and, and Tommy probably doesn't want me to say this, but in our little private chat room, uh, uh, Tommy said this weekend that uh, Bubba Cunningham ought to Lane Kiffin, uh, Larry Fedor, like famously uh, the the athletic director at uh, USC, fired Lane Kiffin on the tarmac at the airport, uh, so. Anyway, I mean, it's it's getting to be more and more of a trend um, when the handwriting is on the wall and it looks like it's and everybody's uh, is sort of resigned to the fact that the coach is not going to continue with the program, that a move could be made mid-season or you know after the seventh or eighth game when uh, it's abundantly clear what's going on, and and as I recall now. Uh, John Bunning was essentially fired after the Virginia game um, at UNC and was allowed to finish out the season. I forget how many games that was, but I think it was several games he was uh, he was able to coach out, even though it was known that he was uh, no longer going to be with the program. So, I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. Uh, I think after two games is – is way too early. That's almost um, a little disrespectful and might be off-putting to potential candidates you're interested in. I don't but think the, the candidates at this stage, the potential candidates, I'm, I'm going to jump in here. I don't think potential candidates would, would, would regard that as, as absurd at this stage. Looking at, looking at that loss and looking at the, at the trajectory and all that, uh, uh, most of the candidates would, under, would understand that. Yeah, well, I, I I would probably agree with you, but I'm just saying this out there. Um, so I don't know exactly what sort of timing, if it if it's going to get done, which none of us sitting here tonight know that it's going to get done. I mean, they certainly are, don't want to do it. I mean, they're not going to be enthusiastic about having to go out and find $14 million to uh, buy out uh, Fedora's contract, but at the same time, you know, I, I sort of feel like they're not going to have a choice when at the end of the day, there's, it's just not going to be a choice. There's just going to be way too much pushback and not just from the fan base, but from the people that have to come up with the money, um, year after year after year, I, I think there, there's going to be, um, the handwriting's going to be on the wall and they're going to have to make a move. But I would say, um, you know, probably you want to do something 
you know, earlier than, than what is normal because you've got a December signing date now for recruiting and, and you don't want to linger right up. You don't want to wait till after Thanksgiving to say, okay, we're going to let the door go. I mean, I think it has, if they're going to do it this year, you know, they need to, to make that call by say November one. Um, at least that's my way of thinking about it, to be fair to everybody. I'll, I'll, be... I'll, Go I'm going to, I'm going to push back on you here a little bit. And, and it's okay. just for contractual reasons. If they wait until after the NC state game to make that move, then it costs the athletic department four $4 million less. Well, I'm sure that's negotiable too, right? I mean, you know, he may <laughs> not want, well, I mean, I think, didn't that what they did with, with Butch Davis? I'm uh, not Butch Davis, but uh, Butch Jones, that, he had to make a bowl in order to get an extra four million or something, and uh, it, it was clear they weren't going to make a bowl, and they negotiated what would have been a twelve million dollar buyout down to eight million. It seems like that's how I remember it. Uh, so you know, maybe maybe that that's how it would transpire at UNC. I don't know, but I mean, if they they hold his feet to the fire, they can still say, well, you can coach out the year, but, you know, at, as of, you know, the NC State game, you're gone. I mean, uh, so, and I mean, I guess they could publicly say we're moving on, even though he's coaching, the, you know, the team to the end of the year. They essentially did that with John Bunning. So, um, we'll see how they handle it. I mean, and, and probably Fedora doesn't want to hang around and finish out the year. Um, if they can reach terms on the buyout sooner than that, he'd probably be happier about that than than to want to push back against it. So we'll see. But uh, I, I do. I did not think I would have bet um, a, a fifty cent piece uh, that there would be no way that Fedora would get the axe uh, this year. But when you lose 41 to 19 to a extremely bad East Carolina team, and, you know, I, I, I forget what our, all of our predictions were. I think I said that if, uh, if UNC were to lose to East Carolina, then um, I would probably spend the rest of uh, this year in Tuscany or somewhere. <laughs> you did. <laughs> and I think somebody called you out on the message boards and said, when's that, when's the move happen? <laughs> and uh, Greg Barnes said uh, that the only way uh, UNC lost is if they didn't show up, but he didn't make clear whether he meant that literally or figuratively. Um, so maybe he's still safe on that prediction. So, yeah, I, I, I don't, I did not think it was going to would conceivably happen, but when you have that kind of a loss, and you can see it in some of the uh, coaching losses that have precipitated uh, the mindset of, yeah, it's time to move on. You know, Butch Davis losing to getting boat raced by Missouri, a bunch of games where the, the outcome of a game or a three-game string or so kind of put a period to it. And, and the subject then wasn't if, it was how. You know, it was moving on to the nuts and bolts of it. I don't. I don't think anybody ought to be really happy about this. Uh, I, I am already uh, filled with some trepidation about the coaching search. I don't know what candidates are out there that I would say are a perfect fit at this point for for UNC. I think it's probably common. Uh, you know, nothing is, you know, 100% all the time in college football, but it's pretty typical when there's a coaching change, you move from sort of the opposite kind of guy that you had. Uh, you know, they, they got rid of Bush Davis and they got Larry Fedora. I'm, I would think they would probably go with a defensive coach, a defensive-minded head coach, maybe even a uh, defensive coordinator, try to pull out a uh, – Defensive coordinator from a really good team. Dave Aranda is probably all. I mean, he's making what for me and now a year, I think, or something crazy. And uh, Venables, Clemson's making two. So Venables not gettable, and they they and Venables is making more than that now. So 
you know, we'll see how how that how they approach that. But you know, I, I would expect them to go that that direction or somebody that's you know been a that's a G five coach that was a defensive guy. I don't know that they'll go to G five route because that's what they what they did last time. But um, the you know the the American Athletic Conference has been you know churning out some pretty good coaches over the last. Justin Puente came from um, PJ Fleck. Uh, no, no, he was at Western Michigan, but you know different different coaches have come out of that conference and you know gotten big jobs. So Tom Herman, I suppose. Um, oh, Tom Herman certainly uh, made no friends in Texas, losing to Maryland twice. No, no, he hasn't. And and you know, you look at some of this stuff. People that have made big changes last year, you see where the results aren't immediate. You know, it's not like you just drop some coins in the in the slot machine and hit the lever and it pays off right away or something. UCLA has dropped two already under Chip Kelly. Uh, Scott Frost you know, dropped uh, his first game at Nebraska, and uh, Tom Herman's had his struggles, you know, going back the last two years at Texas, and he was supposed to be the hottest thing since sliced bread. And so, you know, when you be careful what you're asked for, and I, and I get why people are asked for it, and I understand that it may be a foregone conclusion, but that doesn't mean that, you know, they're just going to turn this program around in a blink of an eye, Bush Davis went four and eight his first year at UNC. And it's particularly if you go a different route schematically, you, you're looking at a rebuild, a serious rebuild. So I, I'm not necessarily looking forward to it, but it's, it's where I think UNC is, and I think everybody recognizes that. All right, boys, this is a good one. You want a simple, easy, better way to travel to UNC football and basketball games? Now's your chance. Hills Travels partnered with Inside Carolina to provide simple and easy travel for select UNC away games. Chuck Joyce, the president of Away to Go Travel, is a Greensboro native and a diehard Carolina fan, and he wanted to find an easier, better way, and more efficient way for Carolina fans to get to away games. So right now, HillsTravel.com is selling packages to get you to the Virginia game in Charlottesville on October 27th. This is a one-day bus trip from Chapel Hill. They pick you up, they take you to the stadium, and they bring you home. All you have to do is show up, cheer for the Tar Heels, and ride the bus. The leaves should be changing. Should be a great chance to check out a great town and be there for Carolina and Virginia, the oldest rivalry in the South. Make the process easy. Ride with other diehard UNC fans, and don't worry about parking or having to drive. It is a win-win situation. Visit hillstravel.com now or call 336 855 0060. There's no better way to spend a holiday than watching the Tar Heels play basketball. In the desert, no less. In Las Vegas, even better. Hills Travels offering a package that includes round trip airfare from RDU, round trip ground transportation from the airport to the hotel, and three nights at the Aria Resort and Casino in Vegas. No better time spent in Vegas to see the Tar Heels. Visit HillsTravel.com now. Or call 336-855-0060. Support Chuck Joyce and Away to Go Travel and help them support the IC podcast. Jason, let me ask you the question as far as timing, and Buck put me on record, but the timing as far as the recruiting aspect, somebody on Twitter hit me up and said, how how best the the money is what the money is. And I, I think the money becomes available when they ask for it. So. I'm not going to talk about that part. It's relevant, but I think it's not relevant because you mentioned the $4 million. Well, they could lose $4 million in these six home games they've got. Uh, I would think pretty easily at at least that much. But let me just talk about uh, or get you to talk about the recruiting aspect of it. How does – you've got a a recruiting situation where they're already – way down in the rankings. I think I saw something 13th in the ACC at this point, and they all change, but um, it's a trend. How do you deal with this issue, this coaching issue, and deal with the recruiting side of it, or do you just sort of wash out, especially the December signing day? I mean, how would you handle it? Well, I I don't think there's really a a good way, uh, especially with the early signing day. 
Um, when you're going to have a, a coaching transition, you're going to have almost without exception, you're going to have, uh, you're going to have a, a down year recruiting wise. Now, the, the best thing you can do is find a coach that's going to get players excited about that guy arriving and just try to get him in place in, in say November. Uh, but that's hard to do, especially if you're go, go, going after a coach who already has a, a head coaching position, uh, who and presumably is successful, which means his, his team's going to be making a bowl. Uh, if that's the case, if you're going after an, an, a sitting head coach whose team is already headed toward a bowl, having that guy in place by the end of November or early December is, is not the easiest thing. Um, you know, early December is really the most realistic there because guy's not going to quit on his team in the regular season. So, you know, you, you're, you're in a, you're in a tough spot. Uh, you know, ideally you want to move as quickly as possible so that you can get somebody in place by, you know, as, as soon in December, as soon after the regular season as, as is realistic. But the, the most important thing, and this is, this is the one thing that I think is, uh, is, is a, it's going to need to be a constant reminder if, if this is the direction that things go is you can't let the 2019 recruiting class be the determining factor in anything that you do in terms of hiring for the next guy. You have to make sure you're, you're, you're hiring for a, you know, five to 10, five to 10 year long-term. So you have to you have to make a long term hire with the with the person that you think is the best coach and the best fit and the person that has the best network of of uh, assistant coaches that you can get and you worry about recruiting later. If you have to if you end up having a, a, a down 2019 class, a good staff, if you make the right hire, you start making up for that in 2020. And yeah, it makes the transition a little harder, but you, it means you end up playing a little bit more youth early on. And, you know, you're looking at three years in, you, you, you're on track, but you, you're not firing somebody and, and hiring somebody else for an instant turnaround that says, well, we better make sure we get that 2019 class in. Otherwise, we're not going to have a good 2019, 2020 year. Well, no, when you, if you're making a change, you're making a change for 2021. That's really your target year. So, yeah, it's it, there. There's no good way, especially like I said, with the early signing period, it makes it so much harder because so many kids are off the board by the time the coaching carousel stops, and you're just not you're not going to have the chance to sway some of those kids that are, especially some of the in-state kids who are going to go to rivals because they're they're not on your they're you don't have a, a, somebody in place or they you don't have relationships with that, that have developed with those, with those kids. So it makes it a whole lot harder. I, it's interesting The December signing day is a, a thing. A lot of people wanted now it's potential, but I agree. If you're worrying about 2019 class, especially where it is right at the moment, uh, you're going about it the wrong way, Buck, let me throw a name out to you and get your thoughts. Um, because I think as Jason said, getting a proven P five coach, Anytime before November's, it's going to be impossible. I mean, even if you get an agreement, that causes issues all over. But even if you got agreement, they're not in place. Um, and then, you know, a coordinator, same deal. But it just, a, a thought came to my head, and I thought Chuck Bagano, defense coordinator at Carolina in 2007. And now he was fired by the Colts, and he's out of work. I think he's doing the NFL consulting uh, certainly has been to North Carolina, so there's a tie there. Anybody like that um, that you could think of that would be realistic for North Carolina? Because I'm not oh. so sure. I'm not sure that anybody in college football is going to excite too many people uh, because a lot of folks have just real – their expectations are way too unrealistic. Well, uh, there's a, actually uh, a coach out there who was a successful P5 coach, um, won a national championship, um, and 
Carolina's is, not going to be able to get Jimbo Fisher, Buck. No, 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 no. Uh, or or Dabo is, Sweeney. Or is currently not coaching uh, in the anywhere and probably would take the Carolina job like a shot. Got no takers there? I don't know Gene, who you're talking about. Gene Chizik? No. Les, well, Gene would fit that profile too, but Les Miles is out there. Yeah, that and, would be a tremendous mistake. A, yeah, an I unbelievable agree. mistake. I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. But at the same time, he's a, uh, you know, he's got a national championship ring on his finger. And, uh, you know, he, he's, you know, tan wrested and ready. Uh, you know. Yeah, that, wow. I'm just saying, you know, and Gene Chizik the same way. You know, he's won a national title. And, uh, you know, uh, he, he, I think maybe his kids might be out of school at this point. You don't know. I mean, there, there are people that, I'm not saying they would be in my top 20 of candidates, but there are people out there. And I, I do think that, uh, you know, uh, like Chuck Pagano, uh, you know, he, he might be somebody that would, you know, be interested, but you know, he's, he's always seemed more like an NFL guy to me. Uh, I don't see him coming to, back to the college game. Um, I also think it's more often than not a mistake to go to the NFL uh, unless it's somebody that's kind of a college NFL guy. The the skill set in terms of coaching those two is is fairly different because yeah. the because because college as much as anything boils down to recruiting. A head coach a, a, a what makes a head coach in the in the college game Eight, 75% of, of your success as a, as a head coach in college is whether or not you can recruit. And that has to do with organization, has to do with whether or not you can, you can win the living room and convince people to come and, come and, play, uh, come and play for you. But that, you got to get a guy who you know can recruit at a very high level at your institution and has the network and, and, uh, and organizational skills to run a, a top level organization. That's what you're looking for. And with the, with the NFL guys, more often than not, you're dealing with guys who actually they part of the reason they're in the NFL is that they, they, they hate the, the, the butt kissing part that you, you have to do. That's, you know, over half of your job as a, as a, as a head coach. Well, we mentioned Gene Chizik. I mean, uh, I don't think it was any secret. He didn't really care for the recruiting side of it. Is that accurate, but. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty true. Uh, that's very accurate. Uh, so, I mean, you know, it. Why not, that's kind of where I started out with this. I I just don't. Who would be a home run hire for UNC? Who's the Who's the square peg in a square hole, or round peg in a round hole? For, <laughs> I for think North you got Carolina? those flip flops. No, I mean, you know. Oh you yeah, know, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I mean, who is the perfect fit? for UNC. I, that name that is to me is not out there. You know, I, I can't think of anybody. And some of the guys you, you think about, like uh, Jeff Brom, you know, uh, where's he well, at? I'm Purdue? a big fan of. Yeah, he's at Purdue. Yeah, I mean, uh, but he's kind of a Midwest guy, I think, maybe. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he, 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 he was uh, at Louisville you know, comes for a while. From, from, yeah, he comes from the Kentucky, you know, uh, area in terms of his a lot of his network and his background or whatever. He can he can do just about anything though. So, so Jason, when you're coaching, I mean, you got a head coach. Aren't your coordinators as important, if not more important, on the trail and your position coaches? I mean, is I get it. You need a closer as a head coach, uh, but the guys that do the grunt work. I mean, Dabo Sweeney's roundly lauded for hiring coordinators that get it done. Your thoughts yeah. on that side of it? I mean, I don't think no, you absolutely need a great personable guy. I mean, you need a closer, a guy with some weight as a head coach. Um, but it's those secondary hires that are what I think are the most important. Absolutely, but at the same point, 
hiring those coordinators is also recruiting. <laughs> yep, you're right. It's getting it's getting guys to buy into what you're selling. It's and actually in some sense it's similar it's a similar skill set to be able to set a vision that people want to be a part of and to be organized in such a way that that people know what their roles are going to be in the organization and that the organization is going to have a clear clear chart about what's expected and you know that vision is going to be lived out in a disciplined way that's what you got to have first and foremost now coordinators are you know that that's where the rubber meets the road in terms of implementing the vision you have to think about it this way a head coach at the college level is a ceo that's the guy who he's handling all of the outfacing stuff in terms of he's the public face of the of the organization He's the one that sets the vision. He's the one that that establishes the culture in terms of, you know, establishing this is who we're going to be in terms of our identity. All of that stuff filters down from the head coach. But your COO, your CFO, you know, all the people who are actually getting stuff done, that's your coordinators. And and you know, then you've got your your middle management effectively in your position coaches. Uh or your executive management, I guess. But you've got you've got various management positions that you have to fill and you have to find good people for those positions in order to have success. But a good CEO without good people to put that vision in in, in place is not going to be enough. But if you don't have a good CEO, you're going to have you're going to have serious problems because the organization is going to have limitations and issues in terms of identity, in terms of culture, in terms of, you know, some sort in terms of vision, in terms of, uh, you know, confusion of organization, any number of things. But, you know, the, the, the college, a college football CEO, uh, a college football head coach is a CEO who is dealing with organizational issues as much as anything else. And it's about empowering everybody else to fulfill that vision. And so, you know, you, you'd better have really good people who can operate in alignment with that vision if you're going to be successful. But it all does start with making the right hire at the CEO position. Uh, yeah, that's a relevant conversation to the day. <laughs> Let's uh, turn to the actual game. And do we have to. Yes, we do. Uh, really, do we have to? I well, then I'll, the well, I want to ask Jason, and but you, you don't have to answer this question then. Uh, Jason, um, we kind of saw what we saw from the quarterback position, and then they made a change uh, late in the game. Why that late? I, it boggles my mind, but I guess it goes back to the conversation we just had. Uh, your thoughts on Cade Fortin? He didn't get a lot of time. Uh, he didn't get a lot of uh, success, but your thoughts on what you saw? I know we talked about him in practice, but he actually faced some live rounds in Greenville against East Carolina. Well, he certainly looked more comfortable uh, than the last time I saw him. Looked a little bit more polished. Uh, looks like over the over the summer, because I hadn't seen him in, in fall ball, uh, but, you know, it looked like over the summer he was able to get a couple things cleaned up in terms of, uh, in terms of mechanics. Uh, looks like Heck got him uh, doing some of, the, some of the stuff that he need, needed to do there. Uh, and, you know, in terms of how he looked, you know, he looked like a freshman who's still, you know, the game's go- going a little fast for him, but at least the ball comes off his hand well, uh, and it's pretty clear that he can that he can sling it and 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 uh, has some accuracy there. He put the ball in positions where his where his players could could catch it. Which, by the way, I still think that that was a catch by Antoine Smith. Um, I thought he got his hands under it, uh, but uh, and you know the ball may have may have uh, touched the gr- the ground a little bit, but that's okay if your hand is under it and his hand was under it. So. For what it's worth, he should have been four of six for a little bit more yardage. But um, that was you know, a one- uh, that was a uh, forty-one to fourteen. Let's get the hell out of here, referee. Call. Oh yeah, absolutely. That was that was let's get out of this field, and nobody really begrudges that on on either side. But uh, aside from the you know the receiver who feels like he he caught it, and the quarterback whose stats it costs, whatever. But um, but no, I thought Cade looked really good. I mean, again, you're dealing with a true freshman. You're dealing with things looked a little fast. Uh, but and, and I said or, but before the season that if you're playing a true freshman, if if you're going to end up 
uh, rebooting and, 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 and uh, the, a true freshman is getting significant reps, then that is a really bad sign for the season. And I still hold to that. But here's the thing. After losing to ECU, well, <laughs> is there a real reason? Is there a real reason not to do it? You're not getting you're you are not getting the performance from that position that is going to warrant anything that says, yeah, we got to make sure we uh you know we we don't make that shift because it could be really bad. Well, adjusted QBR at the position for the starter this year is twenty two point nine. So. Yeah. Is that good? You know, if, uh, yeah, on a scale of 100. <laughs> so, um, you know, 100 being uh, basically a, 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 a near perfect or as, as, you know, highly rated as you can get, uh, you know, it's pre- basically percentile. Um, that, you know, if, if you can't get that, if you can't get better than that from your starter, and again, it's not a matter of difficult competition uh, or, or level, you know, schedule strength being the issue here. If you can't get better than that, then you know what? You start looking at the true freshman and saying, well, you're going to make your mistakes and yeah, we're going to be in trouble, but is it going to be any worse than what we've seen? Because um, one thing we know is that you're, you can put some stress on the defense down the field and you can make some of those throws when you set your feet and, and you do set your feet as a rule. So yeah, that's about as much as I'll say. <laughs> I think you got to roll with it. I mean, you got to have some, you may be walking into the fire, um, but at least with Fortin out there, at least from the fan standpoint, you're walking into the fire um, begrudgingly, maybe instead yeah. of freely. And, and, uh, and, and if I could, if I could jump in here, let me jump in there, Tom. Uh, are you going to talk about like East Carolina? Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, we've gone from Tommy not knowing who his favorite player on the team is <laughs> to have made made his selection after two weeks. Surprise, surprise! It's the backup quarterback. Yeah, but I'll say this: in Tommy's defense, when the starter over two years has a completion percentage in the 51 percent range and is averaging. 4.88 yards per attempt in an offense that, that first of all, has a lot of uh, you know screens and horizontal throws that are easy. And second of all, when you're not doing that, you're pushing it downfield to get a high, high uh, yard per attempt or to get a high uh, yard per completion thing. When you're averaging under five yards per attempt and you're looking at uh, you know the last two years, You've got, you know what you got, sub 52 completion percentage, 51.4 last year, 50.7 this year. Well, at a certain point, you, 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 you got what you got. And if you can't, if, if you're, if you're not getting better than that, then there's really no reason not to give a younger kid a little bit more of a look because the kid probably can give you pretty close to that. With you know this year one touchdown four interceptions for for Nathan Elliott, well you know is a is a is is the the more talented true freshman going to be worse there, especially if you're throwing the less risky downfield balls and 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 screens and limiting what you're doing there, probably not. So and there's at least upside. And right now that I think I think is is the is the biggest problem that exists with Nathan Elliott at quarterback. And again, I, I like Nathan Elliott. I, I think, I, I think he's, he's worked his tail off. He's, he's been a leader. He's done all that. But the reality is that there's really not much upside that he brings. The best you've got is someone who's going to manage the game. Who's going to, who's going to, you know, not make mistakes. Who's going to be able to you know, move around a little bit and, and try to try to make something happen with his feet on occasion, be a threat in the running game. And if he's going to turn the ball over and he's not really going to be all that much of a threat in the running game, then you better find somebody that has some upside to, to deal with that. If if he's going to turn it over, find somebody who has upside to go with those turnovers that you're going to get. Bingo. 
when we come back, I'm going to take a short break. When we come back, Buck, I'm going to uh, want us to talk about the code I'm going to share to come spend some time with you and I next Saturday. And hopefully Florence won't be there with us. We'll be right back. All right. Next Saturday, Carolina plays Central Florida in Keenan Stadium. Uh, use the code 2018 on the Inside Carolina message boards to enter a chance to win two tickets. Am I correct, Buck? That's correct. And they're good seats, too. They are primo uh, great seats. And a couple things make them even greater. And, Jason, I know this would make your day to be in those seats. You get to sit beside Buck and in front of me at the ball game. And not only that, you're mm-hmm. covered by the overhang. So if Florence comes to visit, you're safe and we will have a good that time. That sounds tasty. <laughs> we need Florence to show up, make it interesting. So, Buck, just speak to that a little bit and speak to what our listeners can expect when they enter code 2018 on the message boards to win a chance to come come with us to the ball game next Saturday. Yeah, we've, we've got some pretty decent seats. They're about on the 50-yard line, pretty close to that. But they're in, the I think, the second tier. But that puts them under the overhang there um and so we're we're excited about it tommy and i uh will get to pick on each other the the entire game and um uh, mrs buck will be along tommy and his family will be there to join so uh come and join us and um uh, be looking forward to meeting some inside carolina subscribers and uh, it should be fun we're, we're going to uh, hang in that whether uh, larry fedora makes it all uh, six home games or not, uh, Tommy and I will. Florence cooperating. Now, I, I'm uh, going to have to throw a caveat that, uh, number one, there might not be a game on Saturday, uh, depending on what Florence does. And number two, um, circumstances could uh, arise that would prevent uh, either Tommy or I. We might be pulling pine trees off our houses uh, on Saturday morning. So. Uh, barring that caveat, we'll be there uh, against uh, Central Florida this weekend, and we're looking forward to, to meeting the winners of the podcast giveaway. And this is just on the podcast. We're not advertising this uh, on the uh, on the message board. Good stuff, Buck. Good stuff, Jason. Appreciate y'all taking time to join me on a busy Sunday evening. Uh, to our listeners, thank you for joining us. Thank you for taking part. Uh, some of these questions I posed to Buck and Jason came off of Twitter off my uh, tweet earlier in the day about what we should talk about. So I do appreciate the topics and the subjects. It's all about the fans and that's what we do at inside Carolina podcast, Buck and Jason. Thanks, man. Thanks. All for right, thank you, Tommy. Enjoyed it. Yeah. I wish I could say I enjoyed it, Tommy, but, uh, this, this, this is no fun. I agree that the subject is no fun, but the company is pretty awesome, Jason. Oh, I, well, I, you, I agree with 